Well, Crosswinds, good morning. It is, uh, it is so good to be back with you. We've been out of town the last couple of Sundays and haven't had a chance to be here. And I'll tell you, I missed it. Man, just getting to be here and uh, see your faces hiding behind your masks. <laughs> no, but it is good to be back at our home church again and, and uh, even just to worship with you this morning as our band led. Uh, you know, we did go to church while we were out of town and it's just not the same. And, and, and we love being able to be here. Um, so glad that we have such gifted teachers to teach. Uh, Jody and Derek, the previous two weeks, did incredible jobs. I got to watch them on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so good. And Shelly just killed that song. I love it when Shelly gets up here and sings. And, um, all right, now. Hearing the song that Shelly just sang this morning, uh, it has made me want to play a, a little family feud with you, all right? Uh, this is an actual question from an actual episode of Family Feud. They asked the contestants, 100 people surveyed, top four answers on the board. Here is the question. When someone mentions the king, to whom might he or she be referring? When someone mentions the king... Who are they referring to you? Now, uh, who are they referring to? Hopefully not you. Uh, I want to give you a second and try and get a few answers. So would you stand up right now? Stand up if you can. Most of you can. Go ahead, stand up. Find a couple of people around you, maybe the people you came with and maybe somebody right behind or in front of you. Form a group and see if together you can come up with what these four would. Go ahead. Go ahead and do this. If you're watching at home, you can play along. Now, go ahead, have a seat. Why don't you sit down? All right, let's see how you did, okay? Let's take a look at the answers. The number one answer, 81 people said, Elvis Presley. I'm gonna guess every single one of you got Elvis, right? Every group got Elvis, all right? Uh, next answer, God or Jesus. Seven people said that. How many of you thought that that might be up there? Out of curiosity. Oh, okay. That's, if we were not in church, you would not have said that, but okay. All right. Number three answer, Martin Luther King. Yes, of course. It's in his name for crying out loud. All right. And the final answer, number four, the Burger King. That one caught me off guard. Is there anybody in here who would have said Burger King anywhere? Way up there, maybe some of our high school students up that way or college students. All right, okay, here, all right. Uh, that one is unexpected to me. When I think of kings, uh, I do not think of Burger King. However, however, interesting story. Four years ago, Burger King opened up its first location in Belgium. Belgium, which has a monarchy and an actual king. And, and Burger King thought it would be clever to do a marketing campaign called Who is the King? Asking Belgians to vote online for their favorite, the Belgian King, King Philippe, or the Burger King. <laughs> they created a website, whoisthaking.com, and people would go on it, and they would click on whichever one they thought would be the best king. And if you chose Burger King on the website, then the game was over. If you chose King Philippe, 
a prompt would pop up on the screen trying to change your mind. Like it would say, are you sure he won't cook you fries? <laughs> and if you chose Philippe again, it would say, if you are 100% sure about this, try visiting that king's house at 11 p.m. tonight and asking him to feed you. See how that goes. All right, the palace was not happy with this. The king was angry. He did not appreciate this joke. Uh, after conversations with Burger King, the company pulled the ad and they changed their website, actually their logo, to get rid of the word king altogether, to just call themselves burger. And uh, they wrote this in French on the website, which translates, uh, we admit there is no place for two kings in Belgium, which I'm sure made Philippe happy again. Well, I bring it up today because as we continue in this series, we started on the art of getting along. We are going to look at a person in the Bible today who, like the song you heard earlier, thought at one point that he was the king of something. Um, I love that song because it was sung from the perspective of a person who felt like they had another person acting as the king of their life. And I, I think that most of us can relate to that. We all have people who think of themselves as kings. Uh, what I mean by that, they have strong opinions and they don't mind telling you what they are. They have ideas and they think everybody should just join along and do everything their way. Uh, sometimes people like that can be wearying to spend time with, to be around, uh, as is the case with every type of person we're looking at this series. But that's why we're talking about how to get along with these different types. Oftentimes, the kind of person that we're talking about today will have expectations that other people will jump on board with their plans, and they are greatly bothered when they don't. All right, as I describe that, uh, do you know anyone who in their own mind plays king? Today, we're going to look at somebody in the Bible that was kind of wired this way. And today, uh, I get to do something with you that we won't necessarily get to do each week this series. I get to show you a before and an after of this person. Um, I get to show you uh, that this type of person can be redeemed and why God would even wire anybody to be like this in the first place. But most importantly, we're going to figure out together what to do with people who are like this in our own lives because I don't know about you, but we're only about nine days into the holiday season, and I need help figuring out how to deal with the personalities. Like, it's not easy. Uh, if you haven't already, you're going to have extended time with your spouse, your kids, your siblings, your parents, your friends, and oh, that it were always good and conflict-free, and everybody would get along, but that's not the way it goes. Everyone brings their expectations. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are, are, are unrealistic, right? And, and I don't know. Do you have people in your life that you feel like you can never win with? In fact, do you have people that you think the only way for me to win is to stop being me? Okay, that's why we're doing this series. We believe if we can better understand each other, we can get along better. And the truth is, the way that I need to be approached might be very different than how you need to be approached. And as Derek spoke about the first week, God has designed all of us differently. Let's understand the ways he's designed different kinds of people so that we can figure this out. Last week, Jody talked about a man named Barnabas in the Bible, and she explained that uh, what we're calling this series, he, he, he is a supportive person or an encourager. If you remember, we had this graphic up and and maybe that gave you a new appreciation for people who were wired like that in your own life. And it, it helped you think through how to value people who are like this. Or, or maybe that was you. 
And it helped to hear someone say, yes, this is a real way God wires people. And here's someone in the Bible that is just like me. In our small group this week, we had three people who said, yes, I am this. All right. Well, today, I want to show you a different kind of personality, what I'm going to just call the driven one. And really, we find it in a person in the New Testament named the Apostle Paul. Paul is a personality type that I guarantee you live with, you hang out with, you work with, and now's the time to know how to get along with a driven person. Let me tell you about Paul. Paul was from a Jewish family in a city called Tarsus, which is a trade city along the Mediterranean Sea, and Paul grew up the son of a Pharisee. Now, You've probably heard of Pharisees and maybe even know that when they appear in the Bible, uh, it's usually bad, but maybe you don't know a whole lot about them. Again, maybe it's just that negative connotation, you know, they didn't seem to get along with Jesus. So, so let me give you an oversimplified Cliff's Notes version, all right? The Pharisees were a religious sect of Jewish leaders who felt like it was their job to preserve and protect the Jewish way of life and worship, Judaism, to preserve it to protect it, and the primary way that we're going to do that was by encouraging people to keep God's laws. God had given his people 613 laws that they needed to follow, and the Pharisees knew that their role was to make sure that everybody obeyed. Now, there is far more nuance to that than this, and there's an actual Pharisee origin story that I love telling, sharing. Uh, we don't have time for that today, how the Pharisees came to be, but what you need to know for now this was a group of people who very much believed it was important to protect, preserve Judaism, and they believed one of the ways to accomplish this was to get everybody to obey the law. And just to be clear, yes, the laws included things like thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal. But they were also things like don't work on the Sabbath. And the minutia of what was considered work, um, to this day, it's interpreted by some as you can't open an umbrella that's work. You can't blow air into a balloon. That's work. You can't brush your teeth. That's work. You can't tear toilet paper in a restroom, so you better have pre-torn your toilet paper the day before, or you're holding it until tomorrow. These are modern examples that some people still try to follow, but my point is the ancient Pharisees, they had their own versions of those. And many other laws that, that not only did they try to follow, they tried to get everyone else to follow as well. And if you did not follow their understanding of the law, then there was judgment. Maybe actual judgment, like when the Pharisees caught a woman in adultery and they brought her before Jesus and they grabbed stones off the ground and they were ready to stone her. But if not that kind of physical, literal judgment, certainly spiritual or relational judgment, shunning people who didn't believe, behave the way that they thought they should, and speaking out against those who would break their laws. You know what I mean? Judgy judgment. Well, Paul grew up the son of one of those, a Pharisee. What's it like to grow up in a family like that? What's it like to grow up with a dad like that? I imagine you either rebel and go the other direction completely, or you believe that this kind of stuff is what life is all about, the rules, and preserving and protecting Judaism at any cost. And wouldn't you know, Paul grew up to be a Pharisee himself. Now, you didn't just decide to be a Pharisee. You went to school for it. I mean, you studied under other Pharisaic teachers. 
You were incredibly well-educated if you were Pharisee because part of what Pharisees did was they argued with each other all day about what was the best way to follow the Jewish law. So Paul grew up educated. He grew up argumentative. And at the very least, he grew up a second-generation Pharisee. He was dedicating his life to protecting Judaism and telling other people how to live, which is why the first time we see Paul in Acts 7, he's doing something that he thinks will protect Judaism. He is overseeing the execution of one of the leaders of this new Jesus movement, the, the church, a man named Stephen. Stephen had been preaching about Jesus to people, and their religious leaders could not have it. It was blasphemy. It was heresy in their mind. And if the things he says are true, it'll hurt Judaism. And so they decide to drag him out of the city and stone him. Acts 7, verse 5. Take a look at this with me, would you? It says, at this, at this, the sound of Stephen preaching, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their lungs, and they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. And take a look at this. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, the Paul I've been telling you about before he was a Christian, he was named Saul. Same guy. As we read today, you're going to see the word Saul. Just think Paul. In fact, will you say this with me? Saul is Paul. Saul is Paul. I just need to make sure you get that. All right, now this keeps going. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul, or Paul, is so wanting to protect Judaism and what he thinks is the right way of living and worshiping God. He is so sure of his way, committed to his way, he's willing to kill Stephen to protect it. And as you can see from that verse, not just Stephen, right? Persecution broke out against all of the church in Jerusalem, against all Christians, and they left. They scattered. They had to leave Jerusalem to go where it was safe to be a Jewish Jesus follower. All right, verse 3 gives us a little bit more info. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Paul makes himself the king of something. He's the king of what it looks like to worship God. Now, he is such an extreme example of a personality type that you and I all know. And he's almost too extreme because the person in your family who's wired like Paul is probably not dragging people off to prison or approving of somebody's execution while the executioners lay their jackets at their feet. I I'm doing a little bit of a disservice to you this morning to show you the bad side of Paul or the before. Uh, we are going to get to the after, but it might be important. It might be important because there's an underlying reason that Paul acts this way. And those reasons are the same reason that the driven person or people in your life do what they do. There are some things going on inside this guy that are very likely going on inside somebody who's in your life right now, and I haven't said this yet, might even be going on in you. You may be wired like Paul, and we may be talking about you today. This may be helpful for you. The underlying things going on in a personality like Paul's, what, what we're calling today a driven personality, are... A sense that their worth comes from what they produce and fear. 
If you want to understand a driven personality because you know one or two, you'll live with one, let me tell you what is lying under all the control, all the need to tell other people how to live, all of the drive, really. It's very likely someone who feels like their worth is defined by their success, their leadership, their product, what they accomplish, and or the fear about what might happen if they don't control. And Paul, who grew up around a lot of very intelligent Pharisees, is driven by his need to produce something, accomplish something, even if all he's accomplishing is winning an argument. And he's afraid. He's protecting Judaism, the people. He's protecting God because he's afraid that Jesus and his followers are going to mess Judaism up. And this personality, the, the one that we're calling the driven one, They usually do what they do for one of these two reasons, some kind of fear, even a very small one, and some kind of need to produce, usually because it makes them feel worthy. And I will tell you, I know what is underneath this kind of personality, because Crosswinds, this personality is me. Now, I I wish I could tell you of the four personality types we're going to look at this series that I was the encouraging one, like Jody last week. Or the inspiring one, which is coming up in a few weeks. Those sound so good. I want to be supportive and inspiring. But the truth is, I am driven. (laughs) And I can relate to a lot of what's underneath all of this. I I got a little bit of control in me. Even when I think I've got my control stuff under control, um, there are certain situations that just pull it out. Often in the worst places. Um, a few years ago, Andrea and I decided to take our girls to, to Great America. Uh, you know the theme park in Santa Clara, right? Everybody been to Great America at some point or other? And uh, while Great America holds some nostalgic sentiment in probably many of you, and it even does in me, it is not Disneyland. Uh, it is not exactly the, the most efficient, well-oiled machine of a theme park you'll ever go to. No offense if you work there. Although if you work there, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, we would get in line for a ride like the demon. And I would watch high school kids or college kids, maybe, who, who were the ones putting us on the ride. And I would watch the incredibly inefficient way that they would load people into the roller coaster cars and the redundant way they would check shoulder harnesses. Uh, rather than moving from front to back or back to front, they would check this one, and then they'd go all the way over here and check another one, and then they would forget that they had checked the one they checked in the first place, and they'd go check it again. And you can ask my family, it was everything I could do to stop myself from getting off the ride, gathering the ride operators around, and telling them how to do their jobs better. Control, it's control. And what was underneath all of that? A little bit of fear. If this is everyone's experience, it's going to be bad news for anybody who rides the demon today. Um, I actually did go too far at the corndog stand. Uh, <laughs> We went to the food court for lunch, and there's a bunch of food court restaurants, if you've been there, whatever you want to call them, and and they had super long lines, but there was one place where the line didn't seem very long at all, and and no wonder, it was the corndog stand, and all they sell is corndogs. Easy to order, you get people in, you get them out. There's only a line of about 10 people. So I walked up, and I ordered four corndogs, I paid, and the young man behind the counter said, okay, that'll be 15 minutes. Just wait until we call your name. And I said, um, 15 minutes, how can that be? All you sell are corn dogs. What's the holdup? And he said, oh, it's because we make them fresh. I said, yeah, but all you sell is corn dogs. 
why not get some corn dogs going for the next people in line right now? There's a 100% chance that the people behind me in line are ordering corn dogs. You don't need to wait to start cooking for them. I'm not lying to you. This is exactly what I said. And he said, yeah, but, but we cook them fresh after someone orders. And not stopping, I said, yes, I get that, but it's noon. Statistically, you can look at how many corn dogs you sell each day from 12 to 12.30, and you can just have 10 of them always coming out of the fryer ready to go. They will be fresh. We all just won't be waiting so long. I mean, it's easier for you. It's easier for them. You'll sell more. Just go ahead right now, put like 20 corn dogs in. And he said, no, we cook them fresh. <laughs> and at that, I just walked away, all right? I am a driven one, and I realize a negative that I have the capacity to do is want to tell other people how to do their thing. But I will also tell you, it's not for no reason. Usually, underneath that somewhere is some sense that something will go wrong, and that thing that goes wrong will negatively affect what my life, your life, other people's lives could be. It's a stupid fear, but it's a fear. Now, this is the before of the Apostle Paul, a control freak who wants to tell other people how to live their lives and judge them one way or another if they don't. But Paul has an after. See, Paul has an experience of Jesus as he's on this way to a place called Damascus to persecute more Christians. And, and, and we told that story earlier this year, so uh, I'm not going to read it with you today, but, but Paul's life is changed on the road to Damascus. Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul becomes a Jesus follower himself. And Paul gives his life to preaching Jesus to people the, the, the way that the, the people he was perse persecuting are doing. And to show you Paul's after, I just want to show you another passage, all right? Acts 9 tells us that right after he becomes a Jesus follower and starts preaching, he becomes so good at it that a conspiracy begins to kill him the way that he was after others. We read that he escapes to Jerusalem. And then verse 28 says, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking, will you say this word next with me? Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he talked and debated with Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Again, his own life is threatened, but, 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 but notice what it says there. One, one thing it says, besides boldly, he talked and debated. Debated. All right, can we just be honest about this personality type? There is no argument that they will not get into. We love to debate and argue and fight about our ideas. Do you know somebody like this? Somebody besides me? It's just in our nature. We can't help it. But the upside of that, the first part of the passage you're looking at, he spoke boldly. And this is where I want to share with you a few things that are incredibly valuable about this personality type, people like Paul, all right? Let me, let me give you three. And as I do, see if you can see these three things in the person you're thinking of right now. And maybe, maybe you can appreciate what they bring, all right? The first is they will not quit, they are strong-willed. They don't back down from a fight. They are bold and stubborn sometimes. But when things get tough and other people might back away from a challenge, the driven ones are not afraid of a fight. Um, earlier this year, PBS showed a documentary called G.I. Jews. Uh, it was the story of Jewish Americans in World War II. And, and it explained the story of one specific unit that was captured by the Germans at the Battle of the Bulge. Um, this unit was taken prisoner 
and they were moved to a prison camp. And in this documentary, uh, one of the Jewish Americans who was in that unit tells a story of how he, he took his dog tags and he threw them away so that the Germans would not know that he was Jewish. But it didn't matter because after a few days, just imagine this, the Germans announced that the next morning they were going to ask all the Jewish American soldiers to form a line, identifying themselves. And if they didn't get in line, they would be shot. Well, the master sergeant, this is an American Christian named Roddy Edmonds. He, he was in charge of 1,275 of these Americans he was in prison with. And uh, he spread word to the troops. He said, we will all be there in line in the morning. And I will be at the front of the line. And so the next morning came, and the Americans all marched out, and the sergeant said to the German major, we are all Jews here. And the German said, you can't all be Jews. And at that, he took out his gun, and he pointed it at Roddy's forehead. He said, you will order the Jewish American soldiers to step forward, or I will shoot you right now. And Edmonds replied, Major, you can shoot me, but if you do, you're going to have to shoot all of us. We know who you are. And this war is almost over, and you will be a war criminal. And at that, the major spun around, and he went back to his barracks, and Roddy dismissed the men, and nearly 200 Jewish American men were saved that day. And what you need to know about this personality type is that they are bold, and they don't quit. They don't back down from a fight. And while sometimes that is incredibly annoying, it is a very good thing. We need people who are driven and won't back down. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, look at this. This is Paul's experience. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've constantly been on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Driven people don't back down. And even just reading that, all that he was willing to go through, it steers us to another good thing that we see in driven people. And again, we see this in Paul. The second one, driven people are willing to lead out big things. Who in the world would ever think it's worth going through all of those things we just read just to tell people and change their minds about Jesus? You know who would do it? Someone with big vision. I don't know if everybody knows the stats on Paul. Let me give you some. Paul started somewhere between... 14 and 20 churches. So, so you know, scholars have studied the routes that the Bible says he traveled. They've calculated, calculated he traveled more than 10,000 miles on his journeys on foot. That's the distance from Los Angeles to New York four times over. Imagine walking that four times. Paul eventually goes on to write a third of the New Testament. When, when church leaders were convinced that this new Jesus movement should be exclusively for those who were Jewish and they wanted to limit who could be in the church, it was Paul with big vision who said, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. He had a big vision to do big things in a very big tent for all sorts of people to join this Jesus movement. And you gotta know, there is a reason that Jesus stopped Paul on the road to Damascus that day. Think about this. There were 11 disciples left who were leading and able to carry on the ministry of Jesus, but Paul had the type of personality to take the church where no one else would take it. Part of why God creates 
and wires people like this is because we benefit from their being willing to dream big and pursue big things and to challenge us to more, which leads to the other positive trait of people who are wired like Paul. The third one, driven people are willing to do the work to make something better. Can, can I tell you, if you look at the vast majority of Paul's writings, um, his letters to the churches around the world that he helped start or coach, they were full of instruction on how to do it better, how to follow Jesus better, how to do life together better, how to understand God better. And, and if this personality can often, in its most unhealthy moments, be controlling, and that's driven by fear, in its healthiest moments, it can show powerful leadership toward a better future. And that is driven by love. Now, real quick, in the time that we have left, let me show you how to get along with a driven one. I'm going to give you three quick things, very quick. One, don't try to control them. Do not try to control them. We know driven personalities already have a tendency toward wanting to control things, right? If they're healthy, they're doing everything they can to hold that in check. So, the worst thing that you can do is try to control them, which will make them feel out of control, and it causes them to take the reins off of their control monster and let it loose so that they can feel control again. So do not try to control a control freak. That is a bad move. All right, two, when you find yourself disagreeing with a driven personality type, get them to talk about their reasoning. Get them to talk about their reasoning. There's nothing that this personality wants to do more than explain to you why they think their idea, their way, their opinion is the best one. And here's the deal. Even if they're wrong, you will never get them to see that if they are convinced that you understand their reasoning. They've got to know you understood why they thought their thought was the best thought. So if you want to get along with a driven person that you find yourself disagreeing with, get ready to listen to them explain to you and debate with you and argue their position and let them do it. Just because you hear their explanation doesn't mean you have to agree, but for them to feel valued, they've got to know you heard it. Okay, third one, last one, affirm them. In the places that they, they stretch you and make you better, do not be afraid to affirm them. Now, at first, this is going to sound counterintuitive, right? Because the last thing that it seems confident, argumentative, strong-willed people need is your affirmation. Because they're going to just do what they want to do, even if you don't ever say anything good about them. But part of what keeps them going is knowing that they really are making the lives of the people around them better. For you, if you know someone like this, and if in any way they have stretched you, challenged you, helped you participate in a big thing that you wouldn't otherwise have done, if they have changed your mind on something, if they in any way have enhanced your experience on this earth, affirm them so they know what they're doing is making a difference. Every single one of us has a driven personality in our lives. If you can't think of one, it's likely because it's you. <laughs> and God, God gave us the driven ones for a reason. This week, as you think about who those people are in your world, maybe rather than cringing at their control, you can help them along to a place of health and help them see that they're appreciated for what they bring into your life. All right, will you stand with me? Let's pray together before we go.
God, we thank you for making us all so different. God, personally, can I just say, thank God not everyone is like me. We are so grateful that you have made all these different personality types. And, and God, we're so grateful you've made your Bible so clear that we can read it and see the personalities of the people who are in it. We're so grateful that 2,000 years later, we can, we can read about a guy like Paul and go, oh, that's me. I see that. I do that. And God, I, I would just ask today as we, as we try to understand each other better that you would give us eyes to see these things this week. God, you would give us hearts to get along. And as we get further into the holiday season, God, that this season would be one where we understand each other, where we listen to each other and we affirm what each person brings into our lives. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for coming today. We'll see you next week.